I'm Mary Angela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community. In this space, we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. My goal here is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated and alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. Okay. I am so excited. My third Faces of Fortitude session ever is with the wonderful and amazing now friend, Jacqueline. Um, Jackie, I can call you, correct? Yes, please. Jackie is great. Jackie is a mother. Jackie, I'm going to let you tell a little bit about yourself just because I do not do it justice. Okay. I am actually, yes, I'm a mother and uh, a grandmother. <gasps> what? Um, I did not know that. I am a grandmother. I do, I do have two beautiful granddaughters, uh, six and almost two. My youngest um. one will be two on Sunday. Um, I am uh, a working mom. I am unfortunately a widow. I am, um, an only child now. I lost my only sibling as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's me in a nutshell. That's how we connected. And you connected to me. Um, it has to be a few years ago now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be definitely a year and a half at least. Um, and I remember seeing your um, your page shortly after I lost my husband to suicide um, in March of 2019. And of course, um, I heard a little bit of your story. And originally, I just heard about your uh, about your brother, and I connected with you on that level because even though my brother didn't die of suicide, I had just lost him as well. Um, so I connected on both a sibling level and, you know, the suicide loss level, which is to me the greatest of all. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when you contacted me, I remember it was really fresh. I remember it was right after it happened. And when you sent me this long email, I, I actually don't read all the emails that come into me, especially if they're long and they tell me long stories it's a lot for me to hold. So I don't actually read all of them. And when yours came in, when I saw how long it had been, how recent it was, I was like, shit, I need to take a minute and read this. And I remember yeah. not being able to respond to you right away because I was emotional because I was like, this, this warrior not only was able to send me a message, but be so eloquent and really... I mean, the fact that you were completing sentences and responding <laughs> to me was huge. But, you know, you're a mom and you have other you were you were living for other people at that point in your life still. So, yeah, I was really excited to meet you. And so over time, we've been waiting for me to go to New York. We've been waiting for me to go to the East Coast. 
And of course That's now right. it is COVID and COVID. I don't, and I had a trip planned for June. Like I was so excited <sighs> and uh, so the, close. Yeah. The universe had other things <laughs> in mind, but you know, this podcast coming to light and coming to fruition is just the, the evolution of faces of fortitude and the movement in general. And I think right. it's a different space now because before it was two people talking and it was a very healing space. And then I would pull small, you know, quotes from that and share it with the world. Now, this is a whole different level. This is we're talking about two very personal stories to both of us. And so what That's I want right. to remind you is this is just me and you whoever's listening to this, y'all are flies on the wall, and you are lucky to be here. And I'm glad that you can't talk because it's just a space for the two of us. So yeah, um, I've been wanting to bond with you over this for a long time. Um, whatever is said here, you know, I want you to remember that this is, there's something really healing about taking it out of your body and putting, and I know you've probably been to survivor groups or therapy or whatever, and talk to people about it, but it's different when you talk to somebody that has experienced something similar. It's just, there's a different energy about it, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's a topic that's scary for a lot of people. Um, and, um, I know that we've spoken about not always being um, able to tell everybody the same story, right? Some people, some people, you know, that you can tell them, you know, pretty flat out um, how you're feeling for real mm. and they can handle it. And other people don't really want to know. They just, they're just doing the right thing by asking. So how are you? But, right. You know. They're checking a box, but they're not <laughs> yeah. exactly uh, there. Right. And that's sad. And that's part of not only the grief world, but it's also part of the suicide mental illness world. It's like the fact that I can look at you. And so uh, what we were talking about off camera, and I'll tell people here is that when I tell my story in the beginning of these sessions, I actually edit them based on who I'm talking to because some people can handle some details and some can't. If I'm talking right. to somebody that deals with mental illness on a daily basis, somebody who um, has attempted to take their life and is still with us and is sharing their story of attempt, um, the details around my brother's suicide are, are pretty, they're a lot. And so not everybody can hear them. Um, and right then sometimes, you know, the opposite happens where, you know, I'm talking with somebody who maybe lost a child very recently. And um, those details are too hard for them to hear as well. And so I edit right. them. But I actually love um, having some of those taboo words being um, taken off the taboo list and being able to talk about them with people. Because I think there's a there's a, a widow that I follow on Instagram. And I I want to call her the angry widow. I'm not sure exactly her name, but she, she's, she talks about those words and she kind of takes them off the table and she's like, yeah, Diane, my husband did shoot himself in the face. And like, she's really extreme. And you're just like, but again, I laugh only, I laugh only because some people deserve to, <laughs> to hear stuff like that. Right. And her, because point, they're like, they're picking, but they don't just come out and ask. It's, it's, you know, or yeah. when you do say it, they're like, oh, did, did, and did, did you see it coming? Or what happened? Or was he sad? Or, you know, there, we could make a book. I feel like you and I could write a book on things not to say for real. Yeah. Oh, I could definitely write a book on things not to say. Um, I had one person tell me that um, she thought we were a normal family. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a hard one for me. That was a hard one for me. And we weren't even, we weren't even that friendly. She's an acquaintance like from back in the day. And she, um, sent me an inbox in, on Inst- in Instagram, um, just kind of giving me her condolences and then saying that she was still in shock because she thought we were just a normal family. Oh, I'm glad. I, I'm so sorry. You're still in shock, Deborah. Like what? <laughs> so um, that was a tough one. I've had people ask me if I'm not worried about my children. Wow. And I'm like, well, of course I'm worried about my children. But I mean, are we all? all the lost time? their father tragically right. and unexpectedly. And, and, and I've had the one person say, well, no, I don't mean that way. I mean, like, do you think that they'll oh, suffer wow. from mental illness? Wow. You know? Yeah. I mean, this podcast and this conversation is to not just aid people in knowing what to say, but to normalize saying things, to normalize talking about it. You know, we can talk about, you know, Susan down the street that died of cancer and we can talk about how long she was in hospice and we can talk about her funeral and we can talk about how her family's doing. But for some reason, we can't talk about this. No, I was told once that I was brave for posting stuff on Facebook or Instagram regarding suicide and awareness. Um, a commuter, you know, a, a, a woman that I've known for years who I commute with once in a while, and we've become friends on social media. And she said, you know, you're just so brave to talk about it. And I said, that's an interesting word. Why do you say brave? If he had died of of cancer, and I was an advocate on cancer awareness, or if he died of heart disease, and I decided to, you know, speak out about the uh, American Heart Association, would you still call me brave? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I still wake up a lot in the morning. It's been 19 months since um, Lou passed away. I still wake up many mornings and I look around and I don't even recognize my life. Um, everything that I ever worked for, um, changed overnight. Um, so I had, I had two decisions to make. I could just crumble and fall apart or I could pick myself up and, uh, you know, take the pieces of my life that were still good and, um, start again. Yeah. The one of the widows that um, was a face in my project said um, just because he didn't want to live his life doesn't mean I can't, I, I can't live mine. I have to live for my kids. I have to pick up these pieces. He just didn't want to be here. And I have to accept that. I want to back up. I want to, I want to, I want to hear this whole story. Um, I feel like you've probably heard my story before, so I don't need to tell it to you unless you want to hear it or unless there's questions that you have around it to make you feel comfortable, you know, knowing uh, something that maybe other people don't. But I also feel like we've known each other for a bit now, so you've probably heard a few versions of it. Um, You know my story. You know I lost my brother. You know that I... uh, 
attempted as a teen. And you know that I missed him by six hours the day that he died. Um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is my brother had a very dark side. I, I, you know, it's really easy to commemorate someone and, and pick out all the beautiful parts of them after they die. But um, people that struggle with mental illness and people that are sad and dark have really dark sides. And um, when I did the episode with my brother's best friend, Scott, we talked, we touched on it a little bit, but um, the day of the dead just happened um, after the day after Halloween. And I always commemorate that and remember my brother that way. And I'm a little bit more in tune with spirits this year. And I was really, part of me was a little scared. I was worried that he was going to, his kind of spirit was going to come in a negative way because he had a very, you know, my brother was the one in his circles that everyone said, you only did drugs with James once. And I was like, why? Like weed even? Yeah. And they said, he got very dark every time he did drugs, even happy drugs. It took him to a bad place. Yeah. And so, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I have to mention and I have to talk about his dark side because it. he would be mad at me for not doing that. He's like, that was a part of me. It was a really important part. So I would love to talk about your process and just like leading up to it, you know, anything that you experienced and the day of, if you're comfortable talking about that and yeah, how you're doing. Yeah. I, um, I, so my husband and I, um, met in seventh grade Mm. and he was the weird, real handsome kid. Like he was (laughs) really handsome, but he was very shy and very withdrawn kind of always had like this, like this very, um, quiet side about him, uh, very, uh, deep, like to himself. Mm-hmm. So there was always, there was always something different about him. He didn't like crowds. He didn't like groups. He didn't like to get personal with people. Um, and it took a long time. Even we married very young. We had our children young. Um, there was always something about him that made him sad. There was always a sadness within him. And even at our best times, and we had great, we had wonderful years. There were a lot of very good years. We were married 32 years. Um, there was always like sadness there was always sadness. There was always a lot of negativity, a lot of, um, it was never like, we're going to do this and this is going to be great. It was always more on the, well, what if, you know? So I felt like I had to like always be pushing him along. Um, and then the last, and then, you know, he was in the restaurant business, ironically. Right. And he was great at what he did. And I would, sometimes I would watch him, like I would go to the restaurant or to the various restaurants that he worked in, in all the years that we were together. And I could sit across the room from him and look at him and think he's so in his element, so confident and so alive. And so, and then he became this sad, like disappointed, negative, it was always like a, 
Mm. There was always the ups and downs and the highs and the lows, you know. I'm in, I'm so embarrassed that I not embarrassed. That's not the word. I'm 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 so sorry that I didn't realize that it wasn't him just being, you know, that way. He didn't know any other way to be. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, not to drag this out because there were mm-hmm. so many years, right? I don't know. I don't know what about me gives me the ability to make some things go away for a little bit. And I hide some things and I, I put some things away and I, and I know that they're there, Mm -hmm. but I don't always deal with them until later. And after, after Lou took his life, I reflected a lot on a lot of things. I mean, years of things that I was like, Oh my God, it was there the whole time whole time we had a nice life we had three beautiful kids we have great families we had jobs we 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 you know we weren't wealthy by any means but we took our vacations and we were able to have nice things and you know we lacked up nothing right um i think there was a lot of love and respect between us too so it wasn't like the marriage was poor Um, which again, side note was, you know, a lot of comments that were made, like even to my own mom, Oh, were there marital problems? And I'm like, wow. And then that makes us turn around and internalize. And and feel defensive, right? Right. Like really? And if there were marital problems, would he have really took, taken his life over me? Really? Thanks. I'm flattered. But after 32 years of being married and, we had been together for like 37. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that that, you know, but anyway, digressing. Um, my husband got sick in 2014. Um, he had uh, a problem with his intestines and he was very sick and he went septic and he was in the hospital for a mm-hmm. month. And um, it, it was a very, it was very complicated. And he, he came home with, um, you know, with, with a, a colon bag. Oh, so like they took his colon, they took that part of his intestine out. Wow. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a reset. It was a, first it was reception, uh, resection. And then he, 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 uh, it perforated and whatever. So, you know, my primary partner has Crohn's and so he's had okay. two intestinal surgeries, two resections. Okay. Two resections. Okay. That so who had a resection? A lot. And five days after the resection, it, it sprung a leak while he was still in the hospital, which took him into the operating room again for like six hours. He was septic, double lung collapse. Well, it was double lung collapse. Wow. Edema. I mean, infection after infection, white blood cells through the roof. That, that one time he was in 28 days. So we talked so much when he was in the hospital, let me tell you, you know, towards the end of his stay where he was already stable and out of right. ICU and all that. And he would say things to me like, I'm going to live my life different. I'm going to, I'm going to appreciate everything and every day. And I'm never going to stay in bed on a beautiful day again. And, you know, and he, and he, and he had all these emotions that he was going through while he was laying in that hospital bed, you know, and, um, I think that was the first time that I thought, 
wow, all these years, he's really not just been a negative, you know, like he's just really been struggling with things that he can't control, right. you know? Um, anyway, he recovered from that, but he was never the same because of his personality and because of his, just the way he was. I think that that whole time where he had that bag and he was just not feeling like, um, I don't even know. I, I, I think he was just feeling like that was, I think that was the beginning of the end for him. Mm. He just stopped caring about everything. He stopped caring about simple things. He stopped going to the food shop. He, he was an excellent chef. I mean, amazing chef. I mean, the best. He stopped wanting to cook. He mm. stopped wanting to cut his hair. He was always so like vain and into his hair. He stopped wanting to do that. He, um, he gave up. He just gave up. And I, I was angry. I was angry. I was angry at the end. I would, I would, I would probably said things that I have blocked. <laughs> um, because I was angry. I wanted him to react. Like, why can't you just react? Like I'm reacting. Like, why can't you just get up and go to work on bad days like I do? And why can't you just talk to me and tell me how you feel? He, a couple of weeks before, he, we were having an argument and he said, you have no idea what goes on in my head. And I said, well, then try me, tell me. And he was like, you would never understand. And I'm like, you know, and this is, these are the, and then again, it would be, these are the reasons why nothing will be resolved because you, you don't talk to me. You don't tell me, but he just, he couldn't. I don't even think he knew how to describe right. what he was going you know? So he just, he just gave up. I saw it after, after, after he took his life and after I stabilized myself a little bit, I went back into old text messages, which I still have in my phone, but now it's like, that's a trigger for me. Looking at the phones and the text messages is a trigger for me. Um, I'm glad you but I did them. They're important. I printed them <laughs> and I have them in dry storage just in case something ever happens to my phone or whatever, but they're tough for me to read. They're tough for me to read. It's months and months of messages. You know, some of them were funny. Mm -hmm. Some of them were, were nice. And then there were the dark ones, mm -hmm. right? Like where I would like be begging him to like, answer me. Are you okay? Um, he used a lot of, of passive aggressive stuff with me too, you know, and that would piss me off. That would just totally piss me off. Um, I hope you know, it's okay that you were mad and it's okay that you were pissed off in the end. I think that's probably the first place that we really, you know, I, I could not handle my brother those last right. weeks. I was like, he has a lot. I can't do He's it right lot. now. 
it's, I, I feel so awful. Um, but it was a lot. It's it was a, a lot. A lot. I, I remember saying, I remember one day that he was actually maybe about a week before or a little more. And, um, he was listening because sometimes he would just shut me out. Right. And it was like, and I would, and I knew that he was just not even listening. But this particular day we were in my dining room and he was listening and he was actually staring at me as I said to him, you know, like, Lou, I don't understand. Like we should go for walks or we should, we should do things like we should go to the movies and we should, and it's so funny side note, I'm saying about walking and going to the movies and I'm like, now it wouldn't even be an option. Right. With all this COVID stuff. <laughs> right. 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 Um, so I said to him that day, like, you know, we, you know, we don't take walks. We don't go to a movie. Like we live across the river from the greatest city in the world. I work in Manhattan. Meet me there. Let's go to a show. Let's take a walk in central park. Let's, and he said, I don't want to. And I, and I said, you don't want to do what? And he goes, I don't want to do any of that. Mm. And I said, none of that. And he said, no, none of that. And I remember saying, is this as good as it gets that? I was angry because he would show no, like, no, this is the way it is. And that's mm. it. Just, you know, so I, I had a feeling that he was that he was not taking his meds. So I made a doctor's appointment for him. That the he died on a Tuesday, that Monday before. Hmm. I had been in Atlanta. Hmm. I got to visit a dear friend in Atlanta, and I had come back from Atlanta on Sunday night, and I had taken Monday off to accompany him to the doctor. Um, he left that morning, and he said. I said, hey, don't forget your appointment's at two o'clock, you know, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, 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 I'll be back. He was going to the restaurant like he did. He was a workaholic. Most um, people in the restaurant industry are. Uh, I come from a total, restaurant family, yeah. Totally workaholic, total workaholic. So he he assured me that he'd be back in time to shower and get to the doctor at two o'clock. And I was going with him. Called him about 1130. He said, I'm leaving soon. I'll see you home. One o'clock, he's not home yet. So I call him and he picks up the phone and he says to me, I'm not coming to the doctor. Hmm. So I said, well, that's, this is not acceptable. You need to go to the doctor today and we're going together and I'm going with you. And I, I took the day off to go with you. I think that you, you your meds need to be adjusted and, and you, need, you need to see the doctor. And he said, I'm not coming. And he hung up on me. Hmm. Um, and then of course I called and called and called and called and text and called and called and called and he didn't pick up. So I went to the doctor for him mm-hmm. and I got to the doctor's office and I said, I'm here. My appointment's at two o'clock. And the lady looks at me and says, are you Lewis? And I said, no, I'm his wife, but I'm here for his appointment. And I need to see the doctor. So I went in, I was a mess. My blood pressure was through the roof. I was hysterical, probably totally incoherent. And I was 
I think that was the first day that I feared that he would do something to himself Mm. one week before. Um, The doctor made me stay there. They stabilized me. They, I mean, they, they did an EKG. That's how the doctor's like, I'm actually concerned about you, you know? So, you know, we can't control what he's doing right now, but we can control you right now. So what a great doctor. That's amazing. By the way, he's, He's actually my doctor now. Yeah. He was not my primary care until this. Wow. So this is me. This is me seven days before mm-hmm. go to him. And I'm like, and here I am. He puts me down. He gives me an EKG. He's like, I'm concerned about you. Blah, blah, blah. So I go home and he shows up at home that night about 530 in the afternoon. So all afternoon I worried about him. And when he walked in, I was relieved, right? Like, whew, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I was of course. I, my husband. I mean, I loved him, you know? So I, I said, you know, you scared me. You know, where have you been? And he said, I was just sitting and thinking. And I'm like, thinking about what? I wanted to understand so bad. I still do. Like, why would you dip on me like that? Why would you leave? The level of understanding it takes, we don't have. Like, we don't have. I know. We're never going to get that. But I'm still, I'm still trying to keep those balls in the air now, and and I'm still trying to understand. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty aware that I'm never going to have those answers. But it doesn't make me not ask me them. It doesn't make me stop asking the question to myself all the time. Or like I said, when I, I reinvented, I, I left everything. I moved out of my home. I left furniture. Mm. I threw things out. And I moved into this beautiful, tiny little apartment that I live in now. Um, and I wake up some mornings and I'm like, what happened? How did this happen to us? Um, I, I, so anyway, he didn't go to the doctor. He came home that day and he did say to me that day, no more pills. I'm not taking pills anymore. And I said, well, I don't think that that's a good idea because you can't just stop. Now, now you remember now, now he's home. So now he's safe. And now I'm just pissed off because now you just blew up right. the doctor. Right, right. I was upset all afternoon. You were really inconsiderate, not even picking up the phone and reaching out, knowing that I was upset. Now you come home and you're tired. You want to shower and you want to go to sleep. And, you know, and like, this was just a really bad day for me too, for both of us. Like, we don't just go to bed and forget about this. Like, this is, I'm not going to just drop this. A conversation needs to happen, right? Right. So... He just wouldn't, he just wouldn't communicate. He just wouldn't communicate. So the next couple of days were the same. Like, I think he was abusing alcohol. I think he was, I don't think. He was abusing alcohol just to self-medicate, not Mm -hmm. to be social or fun or anything like that. Just to self-medicate. But then... He would make sure that I wouldn't know because that would be um, another fight mm-hmm. because I didn't want him to 
do that to himself. Of course. It was like this, right? Um, He was in bed for days. So he died on a Tuesday. He was in bed like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I kept like pushing him to get up. I mean, he was, you know, he was part owner in the business, but then he really did run the business pretty much. But, you know, it wasn't right for him to not be going in and doing the things that he was supposed to be doing. Plus, I was worried that he was just always home and watching TV or whatever it was that he was doing, you know. So the, the day before he didn't go to work, Monday, my son and his um, then girlfriend, now fiance, had just come back from Thailand on Sunday and had come over to do laundry as kids do. Mm-hmm. And I had called him from work and I said, the kids are coming to do laundry. And he was like, okay. I mean, he was like, okay. And I said, why don't you cook? You know, the kids have been in Thailand for 10 days. I'm sure they could use some nice cooking. He said, okay, I will. So got home. He had a beautiful meal ready for us. He had a bottle of Chilean wine that he opened and he was very proud of it, telling us what year it was from and whatnot. But he did not drink that night. Hmm. He gave me a glass and my daughter-in-law a glass. And he didn't drink that night. They had a beautiful dinner. They bought him a very funny t-shirt from Thailand, <laughs> which we, we laughed about. Because if you if I just described my husband, he was very quiet and kind of like on the shy side. It was like, I, heart, bang. Cock. <laughs> so, and it was like, <laughs> so my son thought it was funny because of course my husband would have never worn that in the right, street right. at all. My husband was very like, you know, he's always in a suit. <laughs> so it was just kind of comical. So we laughed about that that night and the kids left and uh, I you know, I was ready to go to bed. And he said, I'm going to stay out here in the living room. I'm going to watch some. He used to sit into the cooking shows, and you know, and I was watching at the time something on Netflix. I was binge watching something on Netflix at the time. So I said, all right, I'll be in the bedroom. So I went into my room and he stayed in the living room. And the next thing I knew, it was like 1.30 in the morning. And I heard like a crash. And I got up and I, and when I got to the bathroom, he said to me, I, I, you know, I fell, I fell on the way to the bathroom. I, I think I tripped on my sweatpants and I fell, but he had a gash on his head. So I kept trying to help him, you know, let me try to help you. And he was like, no, no, I've got it. I got it. But he, just, he was just, he didn't really want me to help him. He just wanted me to leave him alone. So I did. I went back to my room and, uh, shortly after he came to bed into the room and, uh, I said, are you okay? And he was like, it'll be fine. It was bleeding pretty badly, but you know, I had suggested let's go to a hospital, but that was like, that was never going to happen. Um, and then the next morning I got up, I usually used to leave for work very, very early in the morning. Um, he left with me. We took an Uber. Um, I went halfway and he took the Uber the rest of the way. And uh, we spoke a few times that day. He was off. He was off 
you know, he just sounded off. And um, he knew I had a meeting at three o'clock and that's when it all started. The, the text messages to the kids all started coming in around three o'clock. They were all pretty much like, like just goodbye messages, you know, and just kind of like giving them advice and just like kind of like last words of wisdom, but never saying that, you know. Did they find it all? Yeah, so they did find it out. So they start texting each other um, and comparing notes. Meanwhile, I'm in my meeting from three to four. No idea what's happening at all. So four o'clock, I come out of my meeting and I grab my phone. And the first thing I see is my kids group chat. So I open that first. And now I'm like, what? So I'm reading, you know, oh, dad sent me this. And oh, dad sent that. Oh, dad sent this. And um, so before I even answered them, I looked at mine. And I had a lot of the same, you know. So, of course, I start trying to communicate with, with Lou. And I'm like, you need to answer me. I grab my purse. Now I'm running out of my office. You know, I'm like, I'm out. It's, it's like 410. So I have an emergency. I'm leaving. So now I get downstairs and he's not answering me. And I'm answering him and I'm waiting for the bus in, in Manhattan. And um, I need to get to Jersey, you know. So I don't know. It, it just gets crazy after that. I'm trying to get back to Jersey. He's not answering me. Then finally answers me. And he's like, it's all good. Um, I'll see you tonight. But now at this point, I'm already on my way home. So now I'm like, no, I'm coming home. You know, I don't know what's going on with you today or why you sent all those messages, but you've upset the kids. You, you know, I'm upset. I don't know why you're, you know, why are you talking like that? They sound like goodbye notes. You know, I was upset. So you said that. Yeah, I did. I said, you know, what are you trying to, what are you trying to do? Like, why are you talking like that? And then you tell me everything's okay. And that you'll see me tonight. Like almost like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about all those crazy things I just said to the kids. And like, and I hate to use that word crazy, but, like it was just, they were things that you just don't say or I don't say, I don't even know, but I got home and my, the, and then he sent the last text to me, which told me exactly where he would be and how I would find him. Um, and that was at, 441 in the afternoon and I got home at 520 and it was done. It was over. What did it say? I've never told anyone what it said. Um, it said, I'll be hanging on the tree. I'll be hanging in the tree when you get home. That's a lot for you to hear. Yeah. And so you found him. Yeah. 
tell me. Yeah. You, I think I know how you reacted, but uh, it's really important. So um, part of my work is not only how you react, but the our minds protect us. So a lot, there are a lot yeah, there, there are a lot the of senses, right. I ran the other way. And, you know, for days after, I kept trying to explain to people that were trying to comfort me. I kept trying to explain to people in my state of mind. I kept trying to say to people, like, I ran the other way. I remember mentioning that to a lot of people because I remember that I felt like like a coward, like I had ran the other way that instead of towards him. There's nothing you I ran away from him. But I was scared. I was scared to have a worse last visual than I already had. Um So let's talk about, you know, there's something very important about the first person you see that you love after something like that happens. Who's the first person that you saw? <laughs> Zach. Is Zach your my daughter? My daughter's boyfriend, who's like another son to me. Tell me about that. That moment is really important. I ask everyone because I remember that and I feel like it's really it's where we can kind of go, oh my God, and everything can come out. Poor kid. Poor kid. Like he had no idea what he was walking into. Um, he worked for the, he was a, or is, I should say, not past tense. He is a, a volunteer firefighter in my town, in my old town where I lived. And he heard it. He heard it come through because the little girl next door saw him before I got home. So as I'm running out of my house in hysteria out the front door and down my front steps as I'm running into the middle of the street and I lived in a very quiet neighborhood with very little traffic at all. As I'm running out of my house and I run out into this street, there's a cop car coming. So of course the cop car was coming because the neighbor had called but I didn't know that. Right. So I flagged the I flagged the cop car down and he got out of the car and he asked me, I don't know what he asked me, but I said, you know, I think my husband just killed himself in the yard. Please go check. Or I was yelling, like, go check. And I, I sat on the, I sat, on the floor. I don't even know. I just, I kind of sat and, um, the ambulance, like another cop car came, the ambulance came and, um, Zach, he just was just there. And I just, I just bawled. And then my phone rang and it was my daughter, my youngest daughter. The kids all were, the kids were all aware of what was going on. I had two kids in Manhattan working. My youngest was working, but local in New Jersey. They were all in touch. They were all trying to rush home. They all knew something was wrong, but 
they didn't know exactly what was wrong. They just, they knew that I was on my way home to check on him. They knew about the messages. And I guess at one point my youngest daughter called me and I, and I answered the phone and I was hysterical when I realized it was her, I hung up on her. Of course. Yeah. 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 And then the kids started arriving and again, they were confused. They didn't know at first. They just, what happened? Like they, they didn't realize that it was a suicide right away. It took a little bit. And then, and then there was that. And then, and then it was just, we're sorry. Mm. Tell me, who was the hardest My mother. Mm, I was wondering if that was it. My mother had lost her only son 12 months before Ugh. and now lost her only daughter's husband who was in her life since he was 14. She adored him. He was a good man. He was a good guy. He's a full of integrity, wholesome family guy. Never had a bad word to say about anybody. My mom adored him. And uh, I think it, I think that that was probably a bigger hit for her than than my brother. Yeah. Um, my brother was an it was an accident. My brother I think my mom struggled with being angry too with him. I think you had you had so much loss. You know, you've got your brother um so so recent and then your husband um and then you've got these three kids. You've got this family. You you don't you know, I hear from a lot of widows, especially in the suicide space with this project, is they all say the same thing. I don't have I don't have a grieving period. I don't have time to grieve. I don't have I have to pay bills and work and take care of people still. I went to work two weeks later and I had I had I had a business trip planned for that week that he passed. So obviously I didn't go, but I postponed it and uh, I didn't realize. So I called at the time, the, the girl that used to assist, that used to assist me with stuff. And, and I said to her, just rebook it for two weeks from now on a Monday. And I think she was like, really? But everybody was kind of like tiptoeing around me. They didn't know what was going on with me, you know? So I booked this trip like three weeks out. Mm. I stay home, but I go back to work that week between uh, my, 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 my grievance time. And, and my boss says to me, what are you doing here? And I said, I still have a job, right? And he's like, of course, but is it too soon? And I said, no, it's not too soon. I'll figure, you know, I, I need to be here. So I worked a couple of days. I would go in a couple of hours and leave because I was overwhelmed and I was having a lot of like flashbacks and a lot of, I mean, my PTSD has gotten a lot better, but it's still there. I just, I've learned how to tame it. Um, 
but at the beginning it was uh it was tough it was tough the mind play you know plays plays with you so i decide i'm going to go to boston um and i take a 6 a.m train out of penn station on april i think it was like the 14th 15th of april and uh First of all, I have a panic attack in Penn Station. Like, why am I getting on this train? Why am I doing this? Why am I going? Why am I meeting a whole new team? I was going to meet my new team. I had just been, I had just transitioned in roles at work and I was meeting my new boss and my new team. And I had just postponed the trip two weeks before, but now I was going. And I think people were shocked that I was even going. And I think everybody was scared to tell me, no, you can't come. Right. Or no, don't come. Right. And I was like superwoman, like I'm going, I'm doing this, right? So have a complete meltdown in Penn Station, take out my Xanax and, and I buy coffee and I'm taking a Xanax and I drink my coffee and now I get on the train and I'm four hours to Boston and I get to Boston and I'm lugging around this bright yellow luggage and I get to Boston in the middle of the Boston Marathon. (laughs) I get to Back Bay Station and there are thousands and thousands of people. And I just found myself like bald, like overwhelmed with, I was just like, what am I doing here? I couldn't find my hotel. There was checkpoints. They were going through my luggage every two blocks because of course now you know, the bombing, the, the you marathon, know, right. marathon. So, you know, I've had so much change, so much, so much change. Um, I went from, from losing my brother to losing Lou to leaving my home, um, changing jobs. I was in the middle of changing. I was in the middle of role changing. Uh, My role was changing at work. Um, Has anybody talked to you about the, the difference between grief, especially in, in a, in a widowed situation, but also you have added another layer onto this. This is not just grief. You found him. You know, like there's a whole nother layer there that is, that you need to, and we are under the five five year mark with you. Like I consider anything under five years fresh. It is fresh. Yeah, 19 months to be exact, 19 months. It is not long. Um, the fact no. that you're getting up, the fact that you've moved, the fact that you're holding a job, the fact that you're completing sentences is still a big deal. I hope you know that. I think so. I think so. And I, I'm really gentle with myself. Good. I really am. You have to. I would, I would, I would read a lot. I would read a lot. And I would be like, how do I get better? How do I get better? I, I need to get better, right? I'd wake up crying. I'd cry in the shower. I'd cry on the bus. I'd cry on the ferry. Oh, my God, that ferry bus. So so many of them. I'm pretty sure that the commuters commuted with me from northern New Jersey into Manhattan. They're so tired of me crying that they don't look at me anymore. <laughs> They're probably like, oh, there she is again. Because I'd have my little things on and a song would come on and 
or just like a memory or just like whatever. And there it was, you know, I was in therapy and my therapist was great. Um, would talk to me about, you know, just, just watch out for frequency and intensity and duration. All those things will start to diminish, you know? And, um, I cried in the shower probably for, I don't know. It's a great place. To five, months, five months straight. I think, I think, I think I would shower to cry. To cry. Yeah. I've done it before. Yeah. I think I would shower to cry. Um, and, um, I would work out a lot. Tell me this, Jackie, did you have a, did you guys have a funeral for him? We had a memorial for him. Um, my husband, my husband and I attended countless weeks, right? I'm Catholic. He's, we're, we're both Catholic, Roman Catholic. We attended a million wakes and a million funerals. And, and he would always say to me, if you have anything to do with my last days, I don't want to wake. I don't want people staring at me. I don't want to be in the, you know, people, you know, people go to wakes just to see if the person looks the same or worse or better. And right. again, that was his personality, right? Like he was always like complaining. He was, he was like a grouchy old man, but in a, but in a, but in an endearing way, you know? So I knew right away that there would be no open casket and that there would be no wake. So we did have a beautiful, uh, memorial mass that was done by a Franciscan priest who is a personal friend of ours and married us mm. and actually baptized two of our three children. Um, and it was beautiful. Yeah. And it was March 30th um, in the middle of a really cold time of the year, but it happened to be like this beautiful unseasonably warm day and I remember the priest coming to my home and squatting in front of me I was sitting in this little in my granddaughter's chair which was this really tiny and um, I just felt like it was like I was in a cocoon right so I sat in that chair for like three or four days and the priest came while I was sitting in that chair and he said to me I need to ask are we talking about the pink elephant in the room on Saturday. And I said, yes. And he said, okay. It was a beautiful memorial and he opened with, put it this way. I'm pretty sure that more than half of the people that attended the wake did not know that Lou had died by suicide until the priest spoke about it. He spoke beautifully about it, about that. how about how in, you know, in times, you know, how in the olden days, they, they thought that if you took your life, you didn't go to heaven mm. and how, whether we believed in heaven or not, that it was just something silly to say that everybody was, a, you know, a child of God and that, you know, the Catholic religion does see mental illness as something real. Mm. It was a beautiful memorial. It was a beautiful memorial. I read the obituary. I wrote and read the obituary. Um, I don't know how I got through that. Did you, um, 
I'm asking you this for a reason, so it's not to be uh, scandalous. Did you get to see him? Did you view him? Did you and your family have a viewing? No, you chose no. not to. Yeah, I asked that because I did not get to see my brother, and um, but that decision was not mine. Um, that was taken from us, so I was a little bit disappointed that I didn't get to see him afterwards. But um, the idea of the idea, you just mentioned it, and just by you mentioning it, I felt I felt that feeling in the in my stomach that I've that. known for so long now. No. I, I ran the other way. I was so scared to see him dead. I saw him dead, but once you realized you ran a snap, it was a snapshot of something that I'll never forget, but I could have looked more. I could have, I could have, I could have taken it in more and there's no way that I would have been able to live with that. I think what I took in was enough. It, it was just enough for my brain to be able to handle it. And your brain is going to know what you can handle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the aftermath. You know, I think uh, we can all, anyone who's a survivor of a suicide loss knows that the aftermath is just a big fucking blur um of people so true yeah people that have that bring you food that have all of these things to say most of them are wrong most of them are in not helpful and insensitive but they don't or they don't say anything at all which is almost worse um yeah how was that time i have had all of that i've had all of that happen i've had people that i was really close to that decided that they, that they wanted to give me space in the tune of like, you know, weeks and months. (laughs) Um, I've had, I've had family members that um, try to make me feel better by minimizing it. Mm. Like, Oh, you know, you probably don't want to talk about that. So let's not talk about it. Again, um, hurtful, hurtful. Um, and then, and then it wouldn't be fair for me not to mention all the great support that I have because I do have an army of support and I do have friends that ran to me and cooked for me and cleaned for me and fed me and would have probably bathed me had I let them, um, and still check on me all the time and the best thing that you could say to a widow of any or anybody that's lost anybody don't say i know what you feel i know what it's like no you don't no you don't no you don't because even though you and i both lost our brothers i don't know how you felt about your brother's loss you don't know how i felt about mine it's a different experience sibling loss is broad you know Um, so my favorite and my best friend does this to me all the time. She's like, Jackie, it sucks. So sorry. Sucks so bad for you. I'm here though. Yeah. The best thing. What do you think? Yeah. The best thing anybody told me was 
this is so shitty. Yeah. Like just, just, you know, I've had people that don't want to talk about it at all. That makes me, that pisses me off too. Like I, you know, I'm all over the place and it's okay. You know, I, I find, I find that this has changed me so much. I'm not anything like I was a year or two or three ago at all. Like, you know, I, um, I'm looking out for me now. Suicide loss changes you. Yeah, it changes you. It changes you. And, um, you know, they say that when you've lost deep, you've got this deep cavern that you've kind of, uh, have carved out of grief, of sorrow. That's just kind of in you. And we can, nobody knows the depths of sorrow and grief that you feel when you lose somebody to suicide. It's just, it's, the depths are huge. But in addition to that, you are able to fill yourself and feel so much more joy than you were before because you've seen that level of sadness, whether it's with your grandkids, whether it's with seeing a beautiful day, you you look at those things differently now. I don't know about you, but I know I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I definitely do. And, and I have to say that, again, so... I'm active on social media, right? But but most of my stuff is either fitness related or my granddaughters. And people will say to me, I love, I love, oh, you know, um, I know that you've lost, but oh my God, but you have those girls. And I always think to myself, wow, but why did I have to lose? Like, why is it like a consolation prize? Like, oh, you lost your brother and your husband, but you've got these two beautiful girls. And I'm like, so math doesn't work. Yeah. Right. That doesn't work. That never feels okay when people stuff like that. But I, but I let that, I usually let that go. Um, I, I, and, but I do say this, what, what I choose to let people see is genuine. Um, when I'm happy and when I'm happy to be with my girls and when they make me look like a troll, like a weird troll because I didn't look like a troll. I looked like something else, but my granddaughter said I look like a troll. So whatever, I went with it. Um, when I have those moments with them and I'm silly with them and, and, you know, that's all genuine, Mm. you know, but there are days that I don't want to be with them either. There are days I don't want to be happy. How's that? There are days I I just don't want to be happy. That's good. You need to give yourself those days. It's only been 19 months. Jeez. Yeah. There's days that I don't want to be happy. And there's days that if you're going to piss me off, I'm just, I don't want to deal with you either. I won't answer your texts. I won't, you know, which is something I never did before. I, I was, was to always tried to do the right thing by everybody. And I was always trying to be, you know, on top of everything and taking care of everything. And now it's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because I just don't want to. And you know what? That It's changed me. It's right. changed me. Um, I also know that for a fact, I can go through anything and survive. Yes. Do you know that I was, a, you know, I'm just going to leave this. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. Do you know that, that this is probably another podcast altogether, but I was abducted when I was eight years old. What? Yes. For ransom. Jackie. What? Oh yeah. This is a whole no other lie. fucking podcast. No fucking lie. I was abducted. 
for ransom at the age of eight in 1975. You could look it up in the New York Times. Wow. Um, there. So I've had a lot of trauma in my life. I've had a lot of adversity. You know, it wouldn't be nice not to mention. It wouldn't be nice not to mention because poor guy, right? Like he really took a backseat. My dad died a year before my brother. So it was dad, brother, husband. So it was, it was my dad a year and five months later, my brother, and then a year later, my husband. So in two years and five months, I lost the three most important men in my life. And every loss got worse, right? So my husband, my, my father was sickly. And he was in a, in a nursing home and he had, he had been sick for many years. So I felt sad. I did. I felt sad. But I felt peaceful that my dad was now at peace. My brother was shocked to the system. I was devastated. He was my only sibling, my little bro. We were super, super tight. Like, we were, we were close, you know, um, I was devastated when I lost my brother. Like the fact of losing my brother still to this day, when I talk about it, I'm like, how the hell am I never going to see him again? As long as I live, like that's probably the thing that bothers me the most about loss. I know it sounds crazy, but in my head, I think, how is it possible that if I live another 30 years or 40, I hope that I'm never going to see them again. I'll never see them again. It's the most bizarre thing. And it's, and it's been like 12 years for me. So I can't even, but Do you still, Oh, absolutely. It's, it's kind of like I, I watch movies that I think that he'll love. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's been so long. He hasn't, he, he didn't ever get to watch this. You know what I mean? And it's so weird. You know, there's a, right. there's a book that if you haven't read it already, when my brother died, somebody recommended it to me called surviving the death of an adult sibling. It's short. I, it's little. It's like this. Okay. It's so helpful because it talks about the, the grieving process of siblings and how, you know, everybody normally will say, how's your parents when a sibling dies? Um, but they don't really talk to siblings and we're not really acknowledged. Our no, the process. forgotten mourners, right? Yeah. That's what they're called, the forgotten mourners. And so it talks, this book talks about how ideally we actually lose the most when we lose a sibling, because we lose someone that can corroborate our childhood. They are the only ones that can say, remember that one time dad did that thing? The link, the link to the childhood. Link to the childhood. They also can see how far we've come. So they can say, they can acknowledge who we are now. Do you remember? You couldn't even ride a bike, but now look at you. You know, they can, they can see your progress and they also can see your future and, 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 you know, say, I'm going to walk you down the aisle next month, or I'm going to do this, or I can't wait to see my nieces graduate, things like that. So we essentially have lost our past, our present and our future. Yeah. Our siblings. And it's something that we don't normally get kind of credit for. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. It makes a lot of sense. makes a lot of sense. I, um, you know how many times when I was dealing with, with so okay let me just back up so my brother died march 11th of 18 and my husband died march 26th of 19 on march 11th of 19 so 16 days before my husband died i was laying in his arm on the morning that it was the one year of my brother's death and i said to him oh my god how is it possible that 
It's been one year without my brother. One year of, you know, missing him at his birthday and holidays and 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 just moments and oh my god, this has been such a raw year for me. And he said, "Don't worry, it's all going to be better now." Hmm. And two weeks later, I started the worst firsts of all, hmm. which were the first of everything without him. And the losses just kept getting more severe, you know? Um, I always say that it was like, dad was like the rehearsal. Mm. My brother was like the night before the opening act. And then Lou was like the grand finale. It was like, I, I hadn't even, I didn't even, I, I, I didn't have my bearings yet when that all happened. Right. Um, and you also have the trauma of, and I say this because my brother struggled mentally for a long time, but also I have a primary partner right now that I've been with for 23 years that struggles mentally, that has been suicidal, that has been to the hospital for it. There's been it's been, it's trauma. It's a lot. We as spouses have dealt with so much waiting for that call. I wonder if they're okay. Wondering where they are. That is trauma in itself on top. It of is. And it's exhausting. And it makes you do and say things that then you feel guilty about. And I think that people out there have to understand that if we all knew that the person that we loved that is going to die by suicide is going to die by suicide, we would probably handle things completely differently. Right. Wouldn't we? Hindsight is twenty twenty. Like I would have, I would have called my brother from that airport that day. From at the airport. Right. Cause you were there and yeah. you were like, I can't deal with this right now. He was literally um, 10 minutes away from the airport contemplating taking his life, you know, and I was, and my friend said, you should call him. He, you know, our, our plane was delayed. And I was like, why would I do Not that today. before my vacation? I don't want to deal with that. So, you know, it's definitely something that I'm like, of course, but now the, the survivors of the widows, the siblings, the, the children, we have to fret over these puzzle pieces for the rest of our lives. Yeah. That's pain has now been transferred over mm-hmm. and it's transferred in a different way. Right. Cause when you're dealing with that kind of pain and you're, and you're suffering from some kind of a mental illness or a mental break, you're not processing the way we are. So you're transferring a pain that we don't necessarily understand because we're not where you were. Like, I don't understand how he could have knowing again, right? Because I'm thinking that he realized that he would never see those babies again. My granddaughters were four and four months, Mm. right? So I would go there. Like, how could he never want to see those little girls again? I'm sure he wasn't thinking about that. That had nothing to do with that. But I, but I, but I do. So my point is that you get transferred this pain that you don't know what to do with and you don't know how to make sense of it because you can't think the way that person thought. 
So you, you wind up beating it, or at least me, I'm only speaking for myself. I wind up beating myself up and like, and like asking questions that they're irrelevant. They're irrelevant because matter though. I know. I know. And you know what? I know that I will continue to heal. I know that I've, I know that I've come a long way. I know it. I know it. I've also hardened. I will never let anybody hurt me again. It's just not going to happen. Um, and not for a while anyway. You know, I have to really just get myself together and, um, and take as continue much to help. Yeah. And help anybody that I could. Um, you know, if I could help anybody, if I could change anybody's, you know, um, suicide is horrible. And no one ever thinks it's going to, it's going to hit so close, you know, and then, and then you're dealt that card and, um, it's a club that nobody wants to be part of, but we're all glad that we're not alone in it. Yeah. Misery loves company, I guess. Right. That's what they say. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I miss him. I miss him. Um, I don't, despite all the craziness and despite everything, I don't think that there'll ever be another person like that for me in my life. Um, and I'm not even just talking about um, as a man, but just, just, he was a good human. You know, he was my friend. He was my lover. He was my confidant. He annoyed the shit out of me, but he was everything all wrapped up in one. You know, and um, and I'm sad that he's not going to be here. My son gets married a year from last Sunday, November 1st of next year. Um, so we're really excited about that. And like I said, the girls are growing and birthdays are passing. And I'm sad that he's not here. Is the sad wedding, that he's... The wedding's going to be the first big event without him? Um, yeah, I would think. Um, yeah, we already did the first family vacation without him that he actually helped me plan. We booked a really big Disney vacation for last October for our granddaughter's fifth birthday. We booked it in January and he died in March. So we did the trip without him. That was, that was tough, um, but I survived that. Um, You've survived a lot. I feel like we just need to make that statement. Like, I think sometimes I will like make a list for myself and be like, I did A, B, C, D, E, I did all these things and I survived. And then like, you just knocked it out of the park. Like you are, I mean, has anyone ever, have you made a list of it all? Have you made a list? My therapist had me do that when I first met her. She was like, hold on. You survived a horrible sexual assault. You survived an abusive mom. You survived your attempt. You survived your brother's, you know, completion. Like, have you ever made a list and then gone, I'm a mate. I'm a superhero. I mean, no, no, I haven't made a list, but I do think back and I'm like, wow, like 
talk about things that don't, most people live their lives without going through the loss of somebody they, you know, to suicide. I mean, yes, there's so many people that do lose people to suicide, but there's also an abundance of people that don't. Okay. And uh, how many people do you know get abducted? <laughs> None. You. <laughs> wow. And survive it. So, you know, so um, I'm just going to keep on doing what I can to just put my best foot forward every day and um, show my kids that, you know, they have to keep going too. And that, you know, his death cannot define him. He was so much more. He was so much more than just somebody that, you know, didn't want to be here. He was so much more. His life had so much meaning. And um, it sucks that I couldn't save him. But I'm not quite sure anybody could have. I think we can, um, we can think of so many things that can save someone after the fact. But in reality, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing. No, no, there really isn't. You know, like I kept, I kept, you know, like I'm sure everybody, right? Like, oh, maybe if I would have called him again, maybe if I would have, nobody would have done it another day. Right. You would have prolonged it, if anything. I think we did prolong it. I think we did. I think he was unhappy for a long time. Right. I think that, I think we kept him longer. I, I think we kept him here longer than he wanted to be. Right. And I think that he did believe that we would be better off without him. And I'm sure common, he believed that. Right. And that's a common thought. Yeah. Yeah. If I did, if I did learn anything about going to uh, suicide uh, survivor support groups is that even though all of our stories are different, there's always that, there's always that um, common, well, I shouldn't say always, but a lot of them do feel that they're just better off, right. that they don't, that they're a burden that they're, that they don't matter, that they, they're never going to be able to fix whatever it is, is making them that way. Right. And I think that the mental illness, your mind doesn't let you do the things that it needs to do to heal. It fights you on drugs. It fights you on therapy. It fights you on communication. It fights you on not abusing alcohol and or drugs. Um, so the mind is so powerful, you know? So when it's sick. There's not a lot you can do. There's not a lot you can do, right? It doesn't let you. And if you or, or if the person that's suffering from, from any kind of mental illness doesn't need, doesn't want the help, and that's such an important point because if they, there's no, you worked your ass off 
You did. I everything. did. You took days off work. Yeah. You wanted to take tough love. Right. Oh my God, love, love. Like curse, curse at him. Like threatened to leave him, which I would have never done. Like whatever. Right. And it's not about that. They have to want it, and that's such an important point. Yeah, they have to want it. They have to want it. But that's everything in life. You have to want something bad enough to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Everything. Everything, right? Like, who the hell wants to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go to the gym? I do it every day. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. So you, you have to want something. You have to want it. And, um, you know, I will continue to try to create awareness and uh, I will not back down from having that conversation with people. Um, And I hope that, you know, things that we're doing like you and, you know, that we can change some of the stuff that's out there. um, Some of the stigma. I don't know. Sharing your story. I think being open, sharing things tonight with me that you did that, you had never told anybody else. I think that 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 bravery and that vulnerability is going to make it so that somebody else that has gone through this or is going through it, or maybe it's fresh for them. um, You're going to make them feel less alone. And I think that's, I hope so. And this is only part of your session, by the way, this is the first part because I cannot wait to come to New York or New Jersey Ah! where weed is legal now, by the way. It is. I I don't know if we're red or blue right now, but we're definitely in the green. Yeah, you are in the green. I can't wait to come. I can't wait to finally be able to hug you after so many years. And I would, I would love to do a session with a photo session with your kids too. And oh my god, my kids are great. Talk to them about their experience and and make another session with everybody and get everybody's pictures together. I just, we won't say can't wait till, we will just say I can't wait when, and we will do it. It'll get here. (laughs) When all this madness is over, hopefully we'll get back to something. Thank you so much for for trusting me with this space and um, trusting me with your story and your heart and with Lou and Lou's memory, because I just, I feel really honored. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. It was really great talking to you and keep doing what you're doing. Um, I know for myself, um, your page and your stories and your podcasts and your pictures always made me feel better. So thanks again for everything that you do as well. And a big hug to you.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes. We hope you'll join our quickly growing online community where there is always someone to hold a space for you if you feel alone. If you have an idea for an upcoming guest or topic, please don't hesitate to reach out. All social media links and contact information can be found at my website, MaryAngelaAbeo.com. And until next time, take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your fucking hands, wear a damn mask, defund the police, pay the fee, basically continue fighting for the rights of indigenous and black lives everywhere, including and especially black trans lives. And do your part to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.